Hello, ColbyCast listeners. We're so glad you're here. The conversation that follows is rich in insights, full of inspiration, and alas, plagued by some technical foibles that make parts of the audio difficult to understand at times. We've tried to mitigate those latter bits as best as we can, so we hope you'll stick with it through the rough spots. The message of love is loud and clear. Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 174. Thank you for joining us. Check your international plan, because today Anthony D'Ambrosio joins Bonnie and I from Poland. Anthony is and has been working on a 12 Angry Men meets Passion of the Christ film, Colby's Passion. We discuss the work and art of storytelling and the inspiring life and death of St. Maximilian Colby, but also find room for discussions of suffering and the faith, and grappling with despair and disillusionment in modern life. We hope that you'll enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom of four lads and lasses, liturgical musician, popcorn, and podcast fanatic. And this is Stephen, homeschooling father of five and director of development for Colby Academy. Stephen, what's a good word today? Well, I think I'm stealing from you because in our in our lead up to this, you mentioned the word convergence, and that's that just stood out to me. So I'm going to just take a word that you provided and give it back to you. So, okay. Convergence. Convergence. All right. Good deal. That's. Uh, we'll see where that where that shows up again in our conversation. <laughs> this morning we get to visit with Anthony D'Ambrosio, and he's coming to us from Poland, if I'm not mistaken. Hello, Anthony. Welcome to the Colby Cast. Thank you so much for having me, Bonnie. So good to be here. We're very happy to have you here. Um, what are you up to in Poland? And will you tell us a bit about yourself? Wow, okay. So um, uh, what am I up to in Poland? I'm here making a movie about Maximilian Kolbe. And so I'm, uh, I am, it, it would be hard to make a, a really authentic movie about Maximilian Kolbe without being in Poland. Both a Catholic story, but it's also a very Polish story. And to capture that, I uh, have been led out here. But a little bit about me: I'm uh, born and bred Texan. Uh, I'm a uh, I'm a big fan of my father, Doctor Italy Marquino D'Ambrosio, who many people uh, many people in our circles know. Uh, he's uh, just an, an amazing man, amazing father, and I got the opportunity to to literally sit at his feet and learn from him for. Uh, many, many years. So I'm a, a cradle Catholic and um, have had a pretty wild and uh, up and down, left and right, uh, circuitous faith journey uh, that has led me to this point. But I'll, I'll reserve the rest of that for, uh, for later in the podcast. Okay, good deal. So I was telling you guys before we started recording, I got to hear your dad speak at a faith formation conference this past weekend. It was a real treat. It was a real gift. And and he he mentioned your movie at the end of his talk. So I'm very glad to get to visit with you today. I heard about it first on an episode of the Beata Dudes podcast, which I very much enjoyed and thought, well, this is providential timing. St. Maximilian Colby is one of the patrons of our school, of course, Colby Academy. The reasoning behind his patronage for our school. We You can hear about in episode 100 with one of the Colby co-founders, Mrs. Diane Muth. I'll put a link to that episode in our show notes for more information about that. We've we've gotten to have a few conversations about St. Maximilian Colby here lately. So it's a lovely theme that we have developing. And when I 
heard that episode with you describing your movie, I thought, well, let's let's continue that conversation. And so would you tell us a bit about the premise of Envision for the movie Colby's Passion that you're working on now? Absolutely. So the idea is 12 Angry Men Passion of the Christ in that um, I think a lot of people know Colby's story. Um, they know about his sacrifice to save Francis Dionysiak, um, who's the man who, who traded his life the uh, Auschwitz line. Um, I think that the after the story comes much later in 14 days of his life, um, he was locked in a starvation cell with uh, with nine other men. And this starvation cell came unexpectedly through Colby's leadership and his presence became a uh, sort of a rallying point for the camp as they began to sing songs and um, to pray together audibly. Uh, it's the only place in Auschwitz where you could audibly hear prayer because, uh, of course, that was um, outlawed there. And they couldn't do anything worse to the men who were in that cell. And so that was the place of freedom where um, Polish national heritage and uh, its religious fervor could be um, promoted. So uh, these men really became champions in a way and uh, champions of hope and this is what the story is about, is Colby's ministry to them um, and their relationships to each other uh, and the stories of their lives. They kind of reached their crescendo at that point. How did you land on this particular uh, viewpoint, this approach you're taking? Yeah, so, I mean, there's two reasons. One is more deep and the other one is more economic. Um, so okay. this one is that... Uh, I actually had a, I have a very personal kind of story and connection to this. I was a seminarian, um, very fervent believer, um, very excited about the work of evangelization. And I was, I left seminary with the desire to become a missionary to the culture through media and movies and in a way that kind of tracks with um, Colby, uh, his sort of desires. Um, and I, I had, I, fell in love, um, was going to get engaged, and then I got very sick with a, uh, a fungal infection, which at the time was not able to be um, diagnosed. And um, that sickness made me unable to sleep. Uh, it messes with your you know, um, neuropathways and your hormones. And so I could only sleep maybe 20 minutes to two hours a night. And um, that was just a, a time of very intense psychological and um, and physical suffering, um, and the relationship that I had, um, we had to, to part ways because I couldn't move forward into marriage. And it really felt like my the life kind of um, put in front of me that uh, all of the plans that had been working, you know, had been working in my life, all of them fell apart in this moment. And um, I had to ask God why uh, He would let all of that happen. And I entered into a time of very deep. Um, wrestling, grappling with God. And when I found the story of Colby, it, I felt immediately that there was this uncovered part of his story, of his relationships with these other men who were grieving and who were facing great suffering ahead of them and facing their deaths. Um, and uh, I needed a priest, I needed a pastor and a saint to, to sort of guide me through that time. And 
that's what Colby did um, through my meditations on him and his story. So this movie really proof of that meditation and um, of that time of suffering in my life. Um, the other reason is that um, state movies are what they because you have to recreate an entire world or you have to, you know, find all of these costumes and locations and recreate an entire sort of era um, for the camera. And that is just incredibly, incredibly expensive to do. So uh, by focusing more on this very personal relational place that is all happening mainly inside of this cell, we're able to tell a really captivating story about a saint without necessarily having to raise the millions of dollars that we would need to raise in order to, uh, to do that. We've been having these conversations about St. Maximilian Colby, and I thought this is another way to get to know him better and, and to hear you describe more deeply the, the relational aspects. That's very interesting to me, and I'm curious about how that is kind of coming forward for you, how you've been able to kind of develop those and and work those out. Yeah, so I would say that um, one of the things that I really love about Christianity is that it's not a dualism, that we believe that God became man and came to be with us. And there's this like descent of God into flesh and into compassion and into empathy that is really unique about our our faith. And um, I think that Colby, in many ways, um, plays a similar role as a, um, a model of Christ as in this cell, in that um, there are these men who are going through a modern crucifixion, you know, like something that's grotesque and, and absolutely horrible and um, he takes on their suffering with them uh, voluntarily and in doing so shows them how to embrace their own crosses um, and I think that um, at least in the story as I'm imagining it like we don't um, we don't know exactly who else was in the cell we only know who died at that time in Auschwitz that's the only record we have but we do not have like the specifics of which ones that died that that year or that month were in the cell. So we're, I'm kind of creating those characters out of um, a amalgamation of the different types of people who would have been in the camp at the time. Um, these would have been, the, the Nazis had the goal of using Auschwitz first as an extermination camp for the Polish identity and Polish spirit. So they were picking out anyone who was a leader, uh, who had a voice, who was influential, uh, and who was not friendly to the new um, new German regime. And so you have people who are uh, soldiers, POWs from Polish army. You have leaders of the Polish resistance. You have uh, just wealthy people who had money that could be confiscated by the Nazis when they um, when they were imprisoned. You had people who were um, who were politicians and leaders in um, media, and all of these people would have generally. There's many different types of, of intellectual kind of current there at the time. So you have fascists who are friendly to to um, to the Nazis. You have communists who are incredibly on the other side. You have Catholics 
who are um, who just want to see uh, Poland be free. You have people from the resistance. You have uh, people who are oh, who are Jewish. You even have homosexuals who are shipped from um, from Germany to Auschwitz to be exterminated there. So you have all of these different perspectives um, present, and I think for all of them, um, when their lives are being sort of taken from them in such a horrible way, uh, they would have had to struggle with despair. Um, if there's no rescue for us, why not? Honestly, why not kill ourselves right now to get it over with? Um, why endure the next 14 days of suffering to uh, to the end just for the sake of uh, staying alive and suffering? Um, and so Colby would have really had to be vulnerable and with himself, I think he would have had to be very gentle and be very patient and tender towards them to hold them in their grief and um, to be present with them in their doubt, uh, so that they would give him an ear to be able to, uh, yeah, to to speak into that for them. So that's really how the, the movie kind of takes its approach to to this moment. From a creative standpoint what's what's i mean what's easier is it easier to have kind of the the historical thing and you're trying to recreate that or do you prefer this like you could pick from then from this broad different people from different backgrounds and different things that they're personally struggling struggling with and trying to put that all into your your narrative your story is is there a, is one easier or better I, you know, they both have different challenges. So I wouldn't say easier or better. I think that um, with, for instance, Colby, we know his character arc, we know his story, and there's plenty of things to draw from from his life. But with as with anybody, they're very complex and they have so many different stories from their lives that that selecting the right particular moment from their lives to be able to demonstrate um, the whole kind of uh, swath of of, uh, of thematic, I guess, meaning. Um, that, that's very difficult to, to sort of sift through all of these different scenes and all of these different um, testimonies of people who met him to be able to pick the right particular scenes to, to use. Um, on the other hand, when you're working with some of these other characters who are um, not necessarily fictional, but who are like combinations of people, if you will, you have more freedom, but of course, with that open road, you have to do a lot more kind of creative work yourself to 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 build it from scratch. And and I wouldn't say that I I have a preference either way. I think it's just what the story demands. Uh, I I do for the sake of uh, making something compelling. You mentioned on your website uh, Flannery O'Connor and Tolkien, Catholic storytellers, and their legacy. Could you say a bit about that and and maybe their influence on you and in, in approaching uh, the characters that you have have been creating from the from the folks that you're describing? Yeah, I mean, I would say that both of them are amazing authors that impacted the world, not just the Catholic world. Um, and I think it's a really big uh, it's a big gulf that I would like to jump over the making something just for Catholics that is only understood by being and consumed by Catholics versus something that is by Catholics for the world that is a perhaps a gift of our theology but but interpreted and um, and 
digested through, I guess, the lens of a of our modern culture and written to speak to the problems of our modern culture. And I think both Tolkien and Fleming O'Connor were masters of of that of of translating our theology and our and our tradition into something that was entertaining and interesting and, and sort of a lightning rod for the time. And one of the things that I also think is really uh, convicting about them is that, like, we we see Lord of the Rings now very much as a, it's like a children's story that is very hopeful. But if you really, you know, remember reading it, um, it, it was very dark. The the sense of, of impending doom is just absolutely pervasive throughout the book. Uh, you know that that the the people who have the the ring are like small and tiny compared to the power that is coming against them. And of course, this is very influenced by the you know the Second World War and the sense of apocalypse and evil that was growing at the time. But um, Tolkien was not shy about writing something really accurately um, grappled with darkness and sin and death. And um, I think that as as Americans, at least, I wouldn't say that this is true for the European church, but um, as Americans, I think that we've become very accustomed to really feel-good stories about faith that are incredibly uh, positive, but that don't fully give the devil his due. And I think it's part of why our our church's art and literature hasn't quite made it out of our own like cul-de-sac in the last century. Um, maybe not, not last century, maybe the last 50 years. Um, and so I, I think that this story, part of why I'm walking in their footsteps and my hope to, to walk in their footsteps is to be able to really grapple with the perhaps dis- despair, disillusionment, and callousness that characterize um, our world now uh, to really speak to directly without um, painting a rosy picture of the world that uh, everything happens for a reason and everything is really uh, tied up with a bow in the end, um, the way that I think we're used to with faith-based stories now. I think that's really Good, and it was especially when, if since Flannery O'Connor was was uh, was mentioned in there too, um, my my wife and my daughters are huge Flannery O'Connor fans. I was I'm not enough of a, of a literary literary person, I guess. Uh, I I, enjoy, I appreciate her, but she has this thing of where you're confronted with the ugly, right? I mean, so this is I mean, but there's each story seems to be about a grace, the grace that's. So exactly what you're talking about here, but I was just talking with somebody the other day about this, whereas somebody with, I'm a, I'm not a UD grad, I'm a Thomas Aquinas College grad, but you have this, you know, this uh, understanding of the world and the faith and of providence and of all of these things. And you understand where thought in the world has gone bad and, and things, but it's, it's hard to turn to the world and speak their language to really be to truly understand even the lack of hope the lack of of uh, 
yeah, the, the, the not the, not seeing the good that we we have as Catholics is this is even not that we don't experience those things, but it's all then in the light of providence and God's mercy and his goodness and his love. So we can always reach out to that. But there's I think this is good because they're the world out there, like you're saying, they they don't necessarily see the light. And sometimes it's hard whether what for whatever reason, it's just difficult sometimes to, I think, to interact with the world and show them the hope and the goodness, but not in a, not in a way that they can't even understand, you know, to, to make that connection seems really important. So these authors and what you're talking about seems like I get, I get that, that, that makes sense to me now. Right. Yeah. They, I think that you even see this in, in all of the best art that has characterized the Catholic tradition that, you know, I, I even think of Caravaggio, like the, um, the light and the darkness, the contrast in his paintings that make him a master, um, they are, it, it's, if you actually look at one of his paintings, pretty much 80% of it is black, you know? And uh, I think that this might be, I'm not trying to make an argument for really depressing <laughs> art, you know, or something, but just that, like, I think our world actually has a lot of darkness in it. and if we as Catholics are not acknowledging that, we come off as um, as being disassociated from reality, and it it makes us lose our credibility. Um, and I, I think that perhaps, in, at least in the U.S., um, the evangelical art that has been, you know, much more front and center, I think, for the last uh, 50, 60 years in our culture as a representation of what Christians believe. I think it 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 is it has lost its power and is losing its power over the, the United States culture because um, younger people are not able to see that light. It feels like a caricature of the world. Um, it seems unreal and they're right. Um, and so if our art is to capture and recapture the hearts of, of um, young people and those who have wandered from the faith, I think that part of what needs to be done is to uh, is to go into the place where they they left. Like, what is that place in their heart where they were like, I can't really believe this anymore. And I really do think that the problem of evil, um, the gray like ambiguity of the world that just somehow overcomes them, uh, that's the place where they need to be met, and uh, they need to feel like we understand. You know, and so at least for me, that's part of um, that's part of my own story. I, th I think that's even we we've had some conversations with people here, too. It's, I think it's really good for Catholics as well, because I think there is a temptation um, which which we have as Catholics just say, well, just offer it up. Well, Jesus loves you. You know, he's he's in control of all things. But that doesn't take away the as you as you were referring to before, some of the darkness that you go through those dark times of your life where you know God's out there and he's going to take care of things and it's all going to be okay, but it's dark at that point. And to, to kind of, so as Catholics, of course, we want to get out of that, of that place, even for Catholics. I mean, I, I don't know what it would be like possibly for somebody who doesn't have the faith to know that there's something pulling that can pull you out of that. But I think just, just even for Catholics, it's sometimes it's, it's good to acknowledge there's dark, there's dark things that they're hard and 
you sh- you you just can't flip the switch and and everything's light and happy. You've got to. Right. There's a process of going through that dark valley, even even though there's light at the end, I guess. But yeah, and I think too, it's it's at least for me, um, when I was going through my illness, um, it was it seemed to be a lot very threatening to a lot of people for me to share about what I was feeling and thinking with them because. Um, I could tell that they were reacting in some ways defensively to try and fix my world with something as fast as they possibly could. You know, it's like, God has a plan. Here's my thought for why he might be letting you go through this. And of course, like that kind of knee jerk response is so far off from, uh, I, I, I would say probably anybody who's experienced this kind of illness, like, and, um, chronic, difficulty or suffering when somebody else tries to do that to them it feels so patronizing to the experience um you know people who've been through miscarriages or have lost children or going through a divorce um these things are not easily fixed and there isn't necessarily always a happy ending that god has planned for them that is like this is why you're going through it you know that makes it all get tied up with a neat lesson um and i think our instinct to try and and do that for each other in some ways shows our own discomfort with the an unresolved kind of relationship with suffering itself. Uh, and that's the beautiful thing I think about our faith is, is that we actually do have a tradition that has shared that in the face. Um, we are the, the tradition that has, has Christ on the cross in front of us still in our worship. We haven't taken him off because it's so uncomfortable to look at. So um, anyway, that's uh, these are just some, some thoughts that I, I uh, have as we're, you know, finding our winding way into this conversation. Yeah, it's, I think that this is the good. It's a good story. I mean, actually, the story you're telling is both hard and, and dark in that that way. I guess because there is no happy ending. Well, there's no happy ending in this world for those men in in this this encounter. But we're talking about what Saint Maximilian Colby did however many years now 80 or so i guess after he's done this and he's inspired everybody so beyond this world and the effect on the world that he had but yeah there was no happy ending for in this world for saint maximilian colby and the and those men i mean not what we typically call a happy ending i guess but we know there's there's something beyond but and that that is for sure the um the we still get to have the resolution, like our instinct to want all things to turn to good and to be resolved is a hundred percent right. And God does that. It's just that, you know, he doesn't always do it. God's timing is really beautiful and that we get to, um, we don't always get to, to see the, the resolution on this side of it, but even in the midst of that, um, the love, peace of heaven and of the kingdom which is something that goes on in the heart um, irrespective of the circumstances on the outside that is something that all of us can have access to here on earth and um, that is the resolution truly that you get to see I think at the end of the story and um, historically speaking as well when you look at the fact that they were able to stay alive for so long and that they became this like you know, thorn on the side of the Nazis 
that they had to actually be injected with carbolic acid to be, um, or phenol to actually be, um, to be executed. I think it's just an amazing, yeah, amazing story of resilience that formed the heart of Poland and spoke to the heart of Poland and helped them to keep their own, like, identity intact throughout the oppression that they experienced for the, the next, you know, 80 years. I'm curious to hear more about Poland. I wanted to just comment on something going back just a little bit. The reality of right now is really hard. Whatever, whatever, if someone is having, experiencing something and we all have them, right? This thing is really hard. It's hard right now. And the, just acknowledging the reality of that goes so far, I think. And I've been thinking a lot lately about how I respond to people who express their difficult things that are either happening right now or have happened to them that have formed them to where they are right now. I think I tend to overthink it, I think, but and to the point where I, I'm not sure that I make the response that I wish to that. I, oh, goodness. I And I don't wish to be patronizing. So I end up not sometimes I wonder if I just end up not saying enough because I don't want to be patronizing. I don't want to spiritually yeah. bypass or I don't want to gloss it over like, oh, it's all good. It's going to work out in the, you know, any of that. So I have a hard time formulating the response. I wish to say, like, I'm here with you at this. I I'm so sad that that has been your experience, I trust that it will lead somewhere eventually, but I know it's also really hard. So that's all a long thing. And then that makes it about me. So anyhow, all that, to, that's <laughs> well, I understand yeah. that. when we're faced with somebody else's suffering, what, like, what can we say? You know, it's, uh, I, I really think that there's something sacred about that. Like we have to take off our shoes because that's sacred ground and, mm-hmm. uh, it, it warrants extra silence. For sure. Um, so I think that's a much better uh, baseline to stay with than, than words. Yeah, almost like the presence. Like I, I recognize what's going on. I'm just, I'm here with you. And I I don't want to, yeah. Anyhow, okay. Yeah. So that yeah. that's something well, the, I'm thinking of. Go ahead. Go. You know, these, these, these were, this was not the direction that I was <laughs> thinking some of this would go. But it's so good because you brought this in with storytelling. So just in my mind, I was like, oh, wait, wait, how did we get here? Well, but the storytelling and being able to, like Tolkien and Flannery O'Connor, being able to enter into that reality without as you were saying with the yeah just kind of whitewashing things or to, or to go so it's no, i think it's really important that that people especially for you know my son was my son always gets excited when somebody who's working on movies we i get to talk to them through the colby cast he's because he's has an idea he wants to make movies so he's like oh you've got another movie maker that you're talking to but but i think that's in, that's one of the important things that our our young our colby or colby students like my son need to hear is about telling stories it has to we have to be able to to paint reality i mean it it is painting the world as it is with that catholic hope no matter whether you're telling an explicitly catholic story or a story about saints or whatever the story is so i think it's important to to bring to mind right yeah it's a i'm so happy to hear that your son wants to be a storyteller and to make movies and i think that we just need to blow on that that spark in in our youth uh, as much as we can. It's just a, a deeply, deeply needed role um, and a hard one. Like there's there's a martyrdom in being an artist, you know. <laughs> um, so uh, I really, you know, uh, keep them in my thoughts and prayers as well. But um, yeah, uh, anybody listening to this, if you're 
if if you're feeling the call to be an artist or a storyteller, um, just know that that's a really important thing, and I hope that you listen to it. It seems it, we've talked to a number of people now when it comes to you know the arts and you know there's I think one of our one of an artist that we spoke to mentioned like his father was almost like when are you going to get a real job you know you can't you can't do this isn't this isn't something that you do but it's so important for to, you know that we have Catholics that are pursuing this and, and it, but it is hard it is hard because I'm sure because of all of the work and just even the industry sorts of things that I'm sure that. I can't even imagine when you're dealing with all of that sort of main mainstream sort of things too, but uh, yeah, really good to. Uh... Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that Colby saw the need for media and the power of media very, very far ahead of his time. I mean, you think of when Bishop Barron came forward and we were like, this guy's innovative, you know, we're like, I mean, not, not to, to be down on him, just that, Colby was like was there in the 1930s and 40s and really wanted to make a TV station and um, he saw movies as like the next frontier of his magazine. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think about like what would it have been like, what kind of saint would he have been if, if World War II hadn't happened? Um, but I think it's also very interesting to think about the fact that nobody really knows him for any of the big apostolate stuff that he did like um he had the biggest one of the biggest circulating newspapers in 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 magazines in warsaw and in poland and he founded a an abbey or friary 600 brothers that were all working on this thing um but uh he's really remembered for this very single simple act of love that he made at the end of his life um which i think just goes to show you like in in the eyes of the world um the things that are important to us and that are uh, the ambitions that we have uh, are are so they feel so big, but uh, in in the scales, in place in the scales, they just um, sink next to the weight of love and what love can do uh, and the impact love can make in the world. That's always a big thing for us here at Colby Academy. Some of our symbolism uses both of the crowns that St. Maximilian was offered. And like you're saying, oftentimes we focus on that red crown, um, but most of his life was that white crown of purity trying to just do all these wonderful things here. He, he did both, you know, of course, but uh, but yeah, it's, it's nice to have both, <laughs> both of those stories of St. Maximilian. Yeah. That's true. That's very true. I think I think that um, one of the other things that's really interesting about Colby's story um, is that so I got to be at Auschwitz uh, last year during Feast Day, the day that he died, and they have a big procession of all of the churches from all these different parts of Poland um, that you know singing songs and hymns and that converge upon convergence that converge upon. Uh, Auschwitz, and then they have this big mass right out front of the cell block where he died. And um, I mean, I'm getting like choked up even thinking about it because um, it's it's such a testament to the complete destruction of what seemed like the biggest, most oppressive, most powerful evil in the world that was unstoppable that has now evaporated. You know, and 
in its place that he sent um, in the cell in this mass. It's one of the most powerful masks I've ever been to. But what's really interesting is that they all are holding red and white flags. Um, and I thought at the time, uh, being a kind of ridiculous American, that like I just am so unaware of other people's like patriotism. I, I thought this was to symbolize his two crowns, you know, red and white. Like this is his, this is the Colby flag. And then I realized, no, this is actually the Polish flag. Uh, actually seems to me to be very connected. Like the the sense of Poland's identity seems so tied to its shame and so tied to the the martyrdom and the desire for purity like that is expressed in Colby's vision. Um, yeah, it's it's just a fascinating connection to me to think about how patriotic and Polish the story is, as well as how Catholic it is all at the same time. Interesting. I, my curiosity about Poland has really increased a lot. I have some Polish blood in my ancestry, and I'm all the more curious today to learn more about it. So as in the time you've spent there and the time you spent working on this movie, are there other aspects of St. Maximilian Kolbe's life that that our listeners might be surprised to hear about that might be lesser known? I saw something about a fire station. That was the first time I'd seen that. Anything else that you would? That was my favorite thing. So I had no idea. I got to go to Nepokalano, which is the priory that he founded. Um, last year as I was working trip. And um, the historian there was she shared me with me the whole the all of the printing that they did. I mean, um, Colby even innovated innovated in the machinery of the pr of printing at the time in order to make um, his presses as efficient as they needed to be in order to reach as many people as he was trying to reach. So this is a man who is, you know, uh, an innovator in, in his own right, not even just in, in theology. But um, one of my favorite things is that because they made such a big friar, and of course everything was wooden at the time, um, they sort of a town that like was built around this friary, very small, but um, they were really like the, the driving economic kind of uh, factor in that area. And so... Uh, they realized that there was no fire station and they stepped up to the plate and made the first fully uh, operating Franciscan fire station in the world. And I think probably the last. I don't think that there's any other public uh, fire station that is run by a religious order. But I really do think that that is something that other people should do and pick up on because uh, what an amazing service. And it's really funny to just like see these pictures of all these fires, you know, taking off their fire gear and they've got like a habit under you know, it's a, it's just really delightful. It's one of my favorite little like anecdotes about his story. Um, so, yeah, that's the first I'd heard of that. <laughs> that's neat. And there's so many other things I, I wish I could share. I know that we're kind of coming up on time here, but um, and there's many more little anecdotes that you learn about him in the, in the movie if you can get to come and see it. Yeah, I want to ask you about how people are going to get to see it and things like that. Before we get to that, are there other lessons you're drawing from your time working on this or um, themes that are emerging? Yeah, so I think I alluded to this when I was talking about how big of a how big of an influence that Colby was in his country. Um, at least in my experience in, in the Catholic world, um, there is a very uh, intense sort of drive for politically 
for being politically active and um, for being there's the apologetic movement, which really characterized, I think, the last like, you know, 20 years, I guess, of, of Catholic culture. And that intellectual formation, I think, is very important. But um, that said, when we look at Colby's story and we look at we look at the two different projects of his life, one being the project of his paper and of sort of the evangelization of Poland, uh, trying to sort of stave off the, the oncoming um, fascism and communism and Freemasonry that were all like boiling up uh, at the time. Um, Colby really failed when it comes, when you think about it in, in the eyes of the world, he failed completely in his mission to convert Poland and keep it, uh, keep it on track, if you will, um, through his intellectual, you know, uh, I guess, formation and through the writing of articles and the publishing of media and all of the more like uh, political, I guess, ambitions that were present in his mission. Um, but his success came completely from a, an act of love and of tenderness that was heroic and that was that made everything else that he did in his life kind of pale in comparison. And you can see in his story, I can't go into all of the little details and other little stories that kind of um, show and demonstrate this, this kind of movement in his life, but you can see that, um, that God had him on a path of slowly tenderizing him more, more and more towards the people that he was working with and the people that he was around um, so that uh, when he started out as this very fiery, very, very strict, incredibly, like, incredibly conservative, many people would have said very rigid, at least from his order. He was a controversial person in his order, as many saints were. Um, he went from that to somebody who was incredibly tender, never gave up one iota in terms of his ideals and in terms of his intellectual kind of beliefs. But when it came to the way that he was present to people, in the end of his life, um, the true sainthood in him was in this, in this love that was just like palpable in him for the people that were around him. Um, yeah, I, I could, uh, I could go into so many things, but um, he was even well loved, very loved by some of the Nazi commandants, and he was in another camp before he came to Auschwitz uh, when the Nazis invaded and. Um, he was. He even wrote a letter to the mother of one of the commandants in the uh, in this other prison, and so um, it it's just his his breadth of love for people who did not believe uh, a single thing that was in common with him was pretty amazing and uh, pretty unique. So yeah, I I would say that that's a theme that I think is. Um, is a really big part of this movie, and I think a, a message that I want to draw for the church to give us hope. Like, we don't necessarily have to win by the, the same instrument of this world, uh, and we don't have to compete on the same like power dynamic, perhaps that the world competes on. That like ultimately, it's our presence and our love that really is the thing that people pay attention to, and uh, it's the simple stuff that actually cuts through. I've heard you use that word tender several times through throughout the conversation today, and that's really uh, resonating deeply with me. Thinking of just 
daily interactions, the the harshness versus tenderness, it's something I'm going to carry with me and be thinking about um, a lot. That one, that's kind of standing out to me at the moment. So the film is still in production currently. How can folks see it, be a part of it, all that sort of stuff? Yes, absolutely. So thank you for asking. Um, right now, people can see our proof of concept film, which is a, a short film that we made to um, to give an idea of the story that we're trying to tell. And uh, very powerful. Uh, that's on our website um, at colbyspassion.org. Um, right now, we are moving into production uh, and we need miles to get people from the U.S. to Poland to shoot. There's a few actors and a few crew members that are going to be part of it. Many people were hiring Poland to be able to like skip over that step, but um, there are some kind of essential people that we need to, to get over there. So that's something that we really need at the moment if people want to be involved that way. The other way, of course, is prayers. I mean, we are deeply in need of spiritual support um, by asking our crew and cast and everybody who's in this project to ultimately like enter into Auschwitz for, uh, you know, the movie will be two hours, but in order to make it, we have to be living there for two months, you know, in, in this fictional way, but we're entering into it spiritually. And that means that we're entering into a very kind of demonic spiritual memory and environment, and we need spiritual covering for that. So we really appreciate people can go onto our website and just sign up on our email list and we'll send out prayer requests periodically as big decisions are happening and, you know, we feel like we need some extra firepower. Um, that would be something we would really, really deeply appreciate. Well, we'll certainly include the link to the movie's website in our show notes and the website contains ways to to participate as you're describing. Yeah. Exactly. And then in terms of movie, um, that will likely come out in uh, either sometime next year or uh, the year after, depending on um, depending on a million factors, as as movies always do. But um, we will be editing as fast as we possibly can to get it out to people, and uh, it'll just depend on who ends up coming to the table in terms of distribution to help us uh, make that um, make the the release happen. Okay. Well, Anthony know of our gratitude and our prayers for you as you continue working on this on this film colby's passion and for you and and all your endeavors thank you so much for coming to visit with us today thank you so much for having me i'm really grateful subscribe to the colby cast on your favorite podcast app so that you don't miss an episode and let us know how we're doing by leaving a rating or review and as always feel free to email us at podcast at colby.org Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Kolbe, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.